0: This is adapted with Anna and Sam. We love books and we love movies.
1: Warning Here be spoilers.
0: To Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. In this podcast, we talk about a book, we talk about a movie or a TV show based on that book, we play some fun games, and we encourage you to read and watch along with us. And fa-la-la-la-la, this episode we are crawling through the ventilation ducts of Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick <laughs> Thorpe,
1: a.k.a. Die Hard.
0: Yes, it's a Christmas movie. Yes, it is. It totally is. Like, there should be no debate ever.
1: Yeah, the debate's over. Yeah. Is it a good Christmas movie? That's up for debate. That is that always up for Christmas debate. Movie.
0: Yes. Sam, what's, what, what's your quick take? Uh, while not my favorite Christmas movie, that's a tie between Muppet Christmas Carol and The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's a good selection. It's definitely within my top ten. The okay. Of, of Christmas what? movies. Right, Christmas movies. <laughs> Christmas Okay. Yes.
1: yes. Um, uh, so I was going to say that Die Hard is one of those things that you don't have to have seen Die Hard. Yes. Yeah, you true. already know it. You do. It's like I've never... When I finally watched Casablanca for the first time, I was like, wait, have, have I... I feel like I've seen this. Yeah. Even so if you have There's so many parodies and references. Yep. So for those of you fine listeners who haven't seen Die Hard, don't worry. You already know Die Hard. Yeah.
0: Not, we won't spoil anything because you know it all. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and probably the best reference slash riff slash spoof of Die Hard is, of course... The Bob's Burger episodes where they do a mashup <laughs> of Die Hard and Working Girl and it's phenomenal.
0: Oh and only that Bob's Burger.
1: Everyone should see. Yep. I said Bob's Burger, but it's Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burger is it? that sounds weird. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that is a restaurant though. No, I think it's Bob's Burgers. Oh, Bob's Burger is a yeah, restaurant?
0: Probably somewhere.
1: I mean, if you can think of it, yeah. someone on the internet has made porn of it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's true.
1: Sam, what's your six degrees?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> uh so I started with Amanda Stenberg. She Mm -hmm. was in Everything, Everything with Nick Robinson. Okay. Nick Robinson was in Love, Simon with Jennifer Garner. Okay. Jennifer Garner was in Juno with J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons was in The Ref with Dennis Leary. Uh Uh-huh. Dennis Leary was in Demolition Man with Uh Wesley Snipes. Uh Uh-huh. And then Wesley Snipes was in The Expendables 3 with (laughs) Robert Davey. (laughs) The Expendables,
1: three. Three. Because they made
0: three of them. (laughs) Yes, they did. As if the first
1: one wasn't Expendable enough. Right. What's yours? Oh, well, I also started with Amanda Stenberg. Nice. She was in Hunger Games with... Jeffrey Wright. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wright was in the 2000 adaptation of Hamlet. Nice. That's the one with Ethan Hawke. Yep. But also Bill Murray, uh. who was in The Life Aquatic, with <laughs> Steve, Steve Zissou. Zissou, with Michael Gambon. Nice. Michael Gambon is in Charlotte Gray with James Fleet. Mm-hmm. And James Fleet is in Sense and Sensibility with Alan Rickman. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I could have made that shorter because Michael Gambon was in all of the Harry Potters Yeah. well not all the Harry Potters he was in three, three through two seven 17 and a half with Alan Rickman yeah. um and then I was trying to find alright well I, I need to put a, a level between them and every actor I could come up with who had been in a movie with both Michael Gambon and Alan Rickman had also been in Harry Potter <laughs> and it just felt like cheating I'm like no I want to go outside Harry Potter but like everyone has. yes every British Thompson, actor has been in Harry Potter um why can't I think? Beatrix Lestrange? Why can't I think of her real name, Helena Bottom Carter? Thank
0: you. You're welcome. <laughs> We've all been in Harry Potter. Yes, yeah. Um, if you're if you're if you're really truly a British actor, and you are a card carrying British actor, you've been some form of Harry Potter.
1: I feel like I feel like there's one British actor who hasn't been. I'm waiting. Idris Elba.
0: Mm. Wait, was he? He wasn't right. No, but he is in my fantasies. That counts, right? No. <laughs> no, your uh, you're...
1: fan fiction doesn't count.
0: Dang it. Because he stars in all the
1: roles. I can't wait to read your version of Little Women.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what's your book report? All right. <laughs> Excuse me. Here we go. First published in 1979, Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, was the follow-up to his popular 1966 novel, The Detective. And honestly, I probably should have read that book first because holy heck, the main character references the events in that novel all the dang time.
1: It is a sequel. Clearly a sequel. The assumption was you've read the first
0: one. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Very much so. Uh, Nothing lasts forever was republished in two thousand twelve, and the ebook was released as part of the twenty fifth anniversary of its adaptation, Die Hard. Okay, cool. Yes, uh, according to Wikipedia, Nothing Lasts Forever was inspired by a dream Thorpe had after watching The Towering Inferno. In hmm. the dream, a man is chased through a skyscraper with by men with guns, which is basically the book in a nutshell. I mean, yeah, that's that's more or less the book, the movie. Yeah. Your Idris the fan fiction. Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh, Thorpe could actually see a high-rise office building from his home in Laurel Canyon, and this is where he set his story. Uh, taking place over the course of about 20 hours, Nothing Lasts Forever tells the story of Joe Leland, Joe Leland, as he fights against terrorists who have taken over the Claxon Oil Company building, where his daughter works. And how old is Joe Leland? 50s, 60s? I think he's 60, sixty, yeah, yeah, but he can still get it.
1: I mean, I tell you, so can Induselba, and he's like ninety. He's not ninety, but he is over fifty. Have you
0: seen Idris I
1: am... <laughs> do you know? Uh, last time I saw him, he was a CGI cat.
0: So oh, who knows oh, how old oh, oh, he actually he... is? I just threw up a little. Bit. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. Those. I'm sorry. The whatever they did to fix the cats didn't change. Didn't they? Like I was reading, fix like what I did to Rupert. No, snip no, snip no. Snip? No, no, Okay, no. all right. I was like, Do you see a different trailer than me. <laughs> no, no, but apparently, like, since like the feedback from the first trailer, like the director's like, oh no, we went back and retooled like, the cats. I'm like, really? Because no, I just watched your new trailer and it didn't look any different. Freakish,
1: hellish monsters haunt my
0: dreams. Yeah, that is not a movie I'm going to go see.
1: Oh, me neither. We can sit <laughs> home together.
0: Yay. <laughs> Watch some
1: Interstellar movies where he's not yeah. a CGI feline.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd watch that, that Star Trek movie he's in where he's not really himself until the end.
1: Oh, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. In No. Uh,
0: not Into Darkness. That was the second one. It was the third one. Yeah. I, I, I've lost it. Anyways, back to my book report. Yeah, what are we talking about? Roderick <laughs> Thorpe? <laughs> Roderick Thorpe. All right. So Joe Leland needs to get to the airport. Things you need to know about Leland, though, before he gets to the airport. He's a World War II veteran who was a fire pilot. He's divorced with a daughter and two children. He's a former cop... Daughter and two grandchildren. Grandchildren. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He's a former cop and private detective, but he now travels the country working with police departments, developing tactics to counteract terrorist attacks, hostage situations, you know, fun stuff like Mm. that. Mm. Like you do. In fact, he's been to a conference about some up-and-coming killers, including Anton Gruber, a.k.a. Little Tony, a.k.a. Antonino Rojas. I'm going to trip over that. Never calling him that again. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what accent that was, but it was good. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> I think it was Flemish. That was my Flemish accent. Nice. Thank you. Nice. Uh, but now he's off to L.A. to visit his daughter and his grandkids for Christmas and hopes to repair his fractured relationship with her at the same time. But, of course, he picks the cabbie who can't drive in a snowstorm and they get into a minor fender bender with a belligerent jerk. Leland, a former cop who still carries a gun and a badge, pulls out said gun and intimidates said jerk. Leland makes it to the airport, but it cost has stirred up tons of trouble with his gun stunt, but luckily for everyone, but luckily, everyone else has to deal with it. That's nice of him. Which is kind of a theme throughout the book. Mm. Leland stirs up a lot of trouble, and at the end, everybody else comes out to do the cleanup. Yeah. Uh. Yeah.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, And I, I did wonder, like, why is the sequence even in here?
0: It's to show kind of what Jolie Lynn does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his reactions are, you know, not extreme, but extreme. He does always seem to make things worse. Yes. Uh, but he finally makes it to LA, uh, but of course, not before hitting it off and making out with flight attendant Kathy Logan. Yeah, smoochy, smoochy right. on the plate. Woo. Uh, once there, he is taken by hired driver to the Claxon Oil Company building, where his daughter Stephanie works. They are having a big party to celebrate Stephanie and her team closing a multi-million dollar deal to build bridges in Chile.
1: Adorable. Back when multi millions actually meant something. Right. Anything.
0: And you know, at the end of the day, this is actually a large front to get money to junta for them to buy illegal arms. Yeah, it's so. You know, good job, Claxon Oil Company not based on morality at all no mm. no mm. uh leland discovers at this time that not only is stephanie sleeping with her boss ellis but someone or several someones have been doing cocaine <laughs> like yeah they do there's in the a- 80s or no this is in the 70s sorry they still did cocaine yeah they still did, did cocaine in the 70s mm. uh leland it takes this time to ruminate internally on how he's failed his daughter Dude is a major downer throughout the entire book. I think he might be depressed, suffering from some sort of depression. He's been through a lot. I mean, I think the whole book is suffering from depression. Yes, it is very, very much uh, nihilistic. It is dark. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, Leland steps away to call Kathy Logan because, you know, you can't let a woman like that forget about you when all of a sudden the phone cuts out in the middle of his message to her.
1: Yes, he's leaving her a a voice message on her machine for you younger listeners. (laughs) On her answering machine. Yes, for you younger listeners. Before (laughs) the days of cell phone, people had answering machines that were stationary in their homes. And they
0: played on cassette tapes. So you had to, like, push a play button. Mm -hmm. And then erase them when you were... You know what? Just Google it. Just Google it. (laughs) Um... Leland slowly sneaks out of Stephanie's office and discovers the terrorists have taken all the partygoers hostage. Not only that, but he recognizes the leader. It's Anton Gruber. That stupid little shite little Tony. Uh, Antonini La Rojas? What was it? Antonino.
1: Antonino. Yes. Sorry. My Flemish is But he is German. He's German? Yes. Okay. He's still German. But his name is little Tony. Yes, little Tony the German. Yes, I can see why they changed it. yep
0: uh because L- because Leland knows how the police will actually respond, basically kill them all hostages be damned because he developed this plan and shared it and taught the police departments how to do it uh, he... so and and I remember
1: being a little confused by this. so he actually the the that is the plan he would train people on is just kill them all hostages be damned. yep it, that didn't occur to him that that was a bad plan when he was developing it.
0: no. I mean, I think it, there's, like, more, a little more nuance to it than that. Okay. Um, because it's, like, it's not just one person against, it's, like, like, kind of that swap mentality. Yes. Sure. Um, and so I think he, like, as he's kind of in the situation, he's like, oh, maybe that's not such a great idea Maybe I made all. a little mess and left other, <laughs> left other for people to clean up. Right? A little bit. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. Uh... So he knows there's actually only one solution. Leland must rescue Stephanie and his grandkids and the other hostages himself.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He's got a plan.
0: Yes. Ish. Sort sure. of. Uh, so there Leland is on the 33rd floor, barefoot and in his shirt sleeves, because he had been kind of cleaning mm-hmm. up after the flying on the plane, trying to figure out what lo- little Tony's plan is. There are too many hostages for it to be a suicide attack, according to Leland in his mind. Uh, so they must want something public to happen. And, th- and, like, this little bit of book, of description in the book cracked me up. And thank goodness Leland is in good physical condition since he quit smoking and drinking, does ten minutes of sit-ups a day, mm. and walks as much as possible.
1: That's why he got that sexy uh, yeah. stewardess to pay attention to him. Right? He's a silver fox.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but he's determined to win against Little Tony. He uses the stairwells, air ducts, the roof, elevators, doing his best to outthink Little Tony. Mm-hmm. And he can't depend on the police, clearly, even though they do show up, including Al Powell and Captain Dwayne T. Robinson. And while he does get some civilian backup, I'm looking at you, Taco Bell and Kathy Logan. Yes, that Kathy Logan. Yeah, they patch her through. Right? And all the, there's all the TV reporters. There is only so much they can do from outside the building leland is pretty methodical in all of his actions he takes hours to decide how to climb down into the air duct and if he should use the machine gun or the strap from his bag and then when he's on the roof it's another few hours before he's confident and let's be real he's never really fully confident in this he he plans very carefully and then goes well i'll probably die doing this Mm -hmm. but i'll definitely die if i don't so exactly let's plan for two more hours and then do it yep uh, if his swinging through the window will, using a fire hose will work, if he's going to hit the right window, if the arc will be right, if will he swing t- out too much? Will it hold? Dude is seriously thoughtful about his actions. I, I like the implication that you can't just, you can't just
1: swing off no. a rooftop, John McClane. I'm looking at you. You ha- I mean, <laughs> you have to think about what angle and mm-hmm. like, yeah. He was very, very yeah. methodical about. He that. He was doing crazy things, but it was a little yeah. more realistic. His.
0: Yeah, exactly. The planning that would go into making it successful. Exactly. Um, and as he's doing all this, he actually finds out what little Tony's motivations are. Mm-hmm. And so little Tony has discovered that Claxon um, Oil Company is funneling money into Chile to fund, um, is it the, um, I can't remember, is it like the rebels in Chile or does it? do they not really get into that level of detail? I know they're just buying illegal guns. I don't remember. And I'm going to be
1: honest, my geopolitical yeah. knowledge of the 1970s is lacking. Yes.
0: I just remember, like, being, like, not surprised that they were using Chile for this because this was a big thing back then. Um, but anyways... the funding violence in South yes. America. Yep. Yep. So, like, and little Tony's not really happy about that. Um, and so he plans to take the money that Klaxon Oil Company has and kind of... Dump it into the world. Although, like the implication, or at
1: least Leland's interpretation, is that it's not that Little Tony actually cares about lives no. lost. He wants to sow chaos. Right, exactly. That's what he enjoys, and so his excuse is, "Oh, these are these are bad, bad guys that I'm and I'm exposing them." But really, he just wants to
0: he just wants to unravel society. Right. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of of Leland kind of putting his own spin on little Tony's motivations, but at the same time, it's like, little Tony isn't altruistic like he says he is. He's not, yeah, he's not altruistic, and I mean, he he is perfectly happy to kill yeah. people point yep. blank. Exactly. At he, any excuse. Yep, he kills the president of the company, Rivers, with no compunction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he's not looking to kill everybody all at once, like, and he's not even looking to kill everybody at the end of the day. Um, but... He's, he's there to he's do a little bit of pleasure. damage. on it. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, where was I going with that? Anyways, there's a lot of money there. And yes. um, uh, at one point, Leland gets the money. He starts throwing it out a broken window mm-hmm. to kind of fool people. And people are going crazy outside to cause a well, distraction. Well, and like, Leland does it. So, to, little Tony was planning on throwing the money out the window. And Leland
1: did it. And it's almost like... Even though he hates little Tony and, and thinks little Tony's a terrible person, he's almost like,
0: here we go, dude. He, Good idea. Well, well,
1: but I almost... Because I, I felt when I was reading the book, and feel free to disagree, that as, as, as he murdered more and more of these terrorists, and like, to be fair, he felt he had no choice, mm-hmm. it felt like he was pushing him further and further away from his humanity, and so he's becoming more like the terrorists mm-hmm. and becoming less and less able to distinguish himself from them mm-hmm. to the point where he actually was doing the thing that Tony planned on doing, yes. which was sowing chaos by throwing the money in the right. street. and, like,
0: he was sowing the chaos in order to get the hostages out, whereas mm-hmm. Tony, little Tony was sowing the chaos in order to just sow the chaos.
1: Although, but but also he... I don't know, I got the impression that Leland was also doing it as, like, a big F you to the Klaxon Oil Company because he really did think that that was... Like, they had no right to that money. I don't know. Yeah. I
0: get Yeah, I mean, I don't know that his motives were quite that, like, against the Klaxon Maybe Company. Maybe I wasn't against the Klaxon Oil
1: Company, but I, f- I felt like Leland was very aware of the darkness in society mm-hmm. that Tony is trying to draw attention to. Yeah,
0: And I, I like the... Wow. I don't know. They, they were more similar than they were different. Yeah, and I think, like, also, um, like, at least in my opinion, like, I felt like the money was more of an F you to, um, like, the police as well.
1: Yes, yeah. At that point, he was very fed up with the police yeah. and their... their um, incompetence yeah
0: and they like you know they just weren't listening to him and so I think he was just using that to kind of like you know you guys are getting in my way deal with this stuff instead mm-hmm. yeah no I, th- I think that's absolutely true yeah but yeah so one of the first baddies that Leland kills is a young man named Hans and the most important thing to know about Hans is he has a brother named Carl mm-hmm. and Carl has a temper Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: yes he does
0: uh, little Tony is actually an equal opportunity employer by hiring both men and women, yes. to staff his
1: crew, there are at least three women. Yes, three, three women.
0: Uh, the first time Leland kills a woman, he agonizes for pages and pages, literally pages in multiple chapters. But by the third one, it's become routine. As well, and, we and that's what that's yeah, that's what I'm mm-hmm. talking
1: about. And it also like the first time, he also thinks a lot about how young they all are and yep. how bad he feels that these are like twenty year olds that he's killing. Mm-hmm. But
0: but like it becomes as, easier as yep, he does exactly. It. Um. Eventually, little Tony's able to start predicting Leland's moves, particularly when he'll be using the stairwells, and has his crew break all the light bulbs, scattering the shattered glass on the risers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leland doesn't catch on in time as to why the stairs are now in darkness and cuts the crap out of his feet, oh, which God. is just the beginning of his injuries. I'm pretty sure he's shot. He's stabbed. He's roughed up. Um, anything? That maybe, be maybe some heartburn. Probably. Know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's just... He's. He's it's being a up. rough night. Yeah. He also from climbing
1: the ducts gets like really, really dirty. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, you know, there's that yeah. problem to deal yeah, with. Yeah, right. But in the end, it comes down to Leland versus little Tony because Leland has killed basically all of little Tony's crew, mm-hmm. except for Carl. Just wanna say that. Remember Carl. Remember Carl. Uh, who is holding Stephanie as a shield. Leland asks Stephanie to trust him and do as he says, but she doesn't do so when Leland shoots little Tony. So then when Leland shoots little Tony, little Tony falls back through the window, bringing Stephanie with him and both die. Yep. Stephanie dies. So oh, basically. Spoilers. Yeah, right. <laughs> so basically Leland's entire purpose for doing this, he just defeated him. It's just yep. done.
1: His, his daughter died. His dies. daughter's died. Yep.
0: Yep. And it's kind of his fault. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: He made a mess. He really did. And it hurt other people. And he's not going to be the one to clean it up. No, they have they have special contractors. They
0: yep. pull in for that. Yep. Uh, Leland is pretty severely injured at this point, And as he is being strapped to a gurney to be brought to the hospital, Carl comes out from hiding and starts shooting. He kills the doctor trying to save Leland's life. He kills Captain Robinson after Powell turns him into a human shield. Carl just manages to kill even more people than had already been dead. Mm-hmm. Uh but then And yeah, that's that's pretty dark that mm-hmm. Powell right? pulls Robinson right in, front in front of Leland. Leland
1: yep. And it was it was very dark. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It I was mean, a little surprising. Robinson
1: was really awful in the book, but it but was he, still
0: Yeah. And like Powell's like, Oh yeah, he they're gonna prop him up as a hero, it'll be yep. he, this is the way he yeah, wanted to go. He
1: he looks Leland in the eyes and says, That was really smart of you to duck behind him.
0: Yeah. And you're just like, whoa, whoa. My God. Yeah. Yep. But then Carl is killed by Powell, so it's fine. Yay. Yay.
1: We're happy. Yay. Terrorists die. Yay. Oh. Um and did you mention did you mention this that um he got the police's attention by dumping terrorists' bodies off the roof?
0: No, I forgot yeah. I forgot to mention that. It's an important thing, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think. Yep. So he, he tries to get people's attention in a couple different ways. He uses the lights to flash Messages. Morse code Morse yep. code yep uh, he dumps, dumps bodies off the roof I think that does start to get people's attention it does yep yep it does um, and then there's the money to cause the chaos well yeah. um, at that
1: point the police are right. there at least and
0: then he actually um, at one point he sets a bomb off in an elevator and mm-hmm. basically blows out a few floors of the building mm-hmm. that also gets that attention that gets attention as well yeah. yep mm-hmm. so you know he's he's serious about his work I mean, he's very smart in some ways. Mm-hmm. He's, like I said, he's very thoughtful of mm-hmm. his actions. Um, but I don't know that he sees the big picture in yeah. a big picture way. Well, he's very—he's very damaged. Yes, is our—is our Leland? Yes, yes, he is. And I feel like if I had read the detective, I would understand that damage a little bit more. Maybe. So, I mean, a little bit of background from the detective that he mentions over and over again. He put he put an innocent man in jail, and that man was executed.
1: And then only afterwards he found out that that yes. man was not the... Not the killer. And there was, like, a gay love triangle, which was especially
0: scandalous because it was the 1960s. Yes. And somehow the real killer was connected to his wife. Somehow. So she got involved in it. Yes. And then they ended up getting divorced afterwards, and he ended up hooking up with the widow... Of the the, the murderer, real killer, right? Yeah, yeah, the one who had committed suicide. Yeah. At the yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, it was, a, should, it was a tangled web. It really was, and this messed him up very much. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But anyways, the novel ends as Leland is wheeled away, and we're left unsure if he actually survives his inner injuries, or even what happens next.
1: Yeah, yeah. Merry Merry Christmas, guys. Yep.
0: Yippee-ki-yay, Enjoy mother Rappers.
1: Enjoy that.
0: Yeah. So, Anna, do you want to tell us
1: about the movie? I'd love to talk about the movie. <laughs> so, Die Hard was released in 1988, directed by John McTiernan, from the screenplay by Jeb Stewart and Steven D'Souza. So, six-year-old Joe Leland is transformed into 30-year-old John McLean, And, hey, his name is super similar to the director's. Ah. John McTiernan and John McLean. Interesting. Ah, Interesting. And the dark tale of a man losing his humanity as he fights terrorists is replaced with a wish-fulfillment fantasy of good guy with a gun has hijinks and saves the day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hijinks galore. So many hijinks.
1: In some ways, it feels a little bit like... um, I think Taken, I feel similarly about it. Like, it's very much, like, just this, like, patriarch fantasy of, like, I am the, I am the savior. Yes. I'm rescuing the... Yep. Yep. And, and, and beating all the bad guys and all the corrupt officials and... Yep. And just being super good at my job, even when I'm crap at my job. Having a particular set of skills. Yes. Yeah. So, John McClane, of course, turned Bruce Willis into a movie star made Alan Rickman into a film actor. It also stars Bonnie Bedelia as Holly gennaro McLean, Reginald Fal johnson as Sergeant Al Powell, and features a trio of 1980s uber-jerks. Yes. Paul Gleason, mm-hmm. William Atherton, mm-hmm. and Robert Davey from Breakfast Club, Ghostbusters, and Goonies, respectively. Yes. I'm sure they're all lovely people in real life, but those guys were, like, go-to jerks yes. for 1980s movies, and they're all here. They're necessarily all jerks in this movie, too. And they're not even all the jerks in this movie. There's other jerks. Yeah. Um, So it's interesting the the ways that the the movie it does like keep a few things from the book, and you'll like you'll see some some things that are um you're like oh yeah no that I mean that's in the book but it's but it's so, so different, different and yeah. so obscured and it's almost like. I think the first screenwriter read the book. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the second screenwriter did, because oh, the no. first screenwriter was fired and another guy was brought in to make it funnier. He clearly did not make, read the book. And I'm not sure anyone else involved in the movie read the book. Because no. Because it's like they took some basic plot structure and events and scooped out all of the meaning and themes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just were like, and this is an action movie. And there's none of the nihilism. There's none
0: of the... Yep. Like... Dark inner turmoil. It's yeah, no, it's just a fun shoot 'em up. Yep, basically. And it, what's really funny though is like if you read Wikipedia, the film follows the source material closely. I, I mean, like, that's a relative term. What? I'm like, okay, I must have read different source material then because that's not what I call closely. So Die Hard starts with Bruce
1: Willis, aka New York cop John McClane, on a plane to L.A. Because it's the 80s, he's flying with a gun in his holster and smokes a cigarette in the airport. Go (laughs) 80s. There he's met by rookie limo driver Argyle, played by, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Devorio White. Oh, okay. Um, I watched a feature on Netflix that was about the movie, and they interviewed him, and he explained the pronunciation of his name, and, like, joked about how his Mm -hmm. parents were probably, like, super high when they came up with it. (laughs) Nice. But I still don't think I can... uh, Yeah. It does. It's not. Spe- it's not spelled like it's pronounced. Okay, Just that happens. A lot. But I apologize if I got it wrong. So, anyways, McLean. Um, oh, Argyle was sent by McLean's wife's super fancy company, the Nakatomi Corporation. That's another change. Mm-hmm. To pick him up um, in the car, McLean, adorable, sits in the front seat next to his driver. And <laughs> <There's> a limo. <level. laughs> Um, Argyle wheedles out of him a few details about his life. So, of course, none of these are from the book. Nope. So he is visiting his wife. They're estranged since um, Holly moved to L.A. six months previously for her fancy job. Took the kids. Took the kids with her. And he may or may not be able to make things up with her tonight. And Mm -hmm. Argyle, uh, ever the wingman, offers to wait in the parking lot. Uh, in the parking garage in the basement of the building and that way in case things don't work out with his wife he can just take him to an hotel.
0: Go Ariel. So
1: inside Nakatomi Plaza, Ms. Gennaro's eyes light up when she sees her husband. But then within minutes they're arguing and squabbling about the same old things. Yep. Tired and tense, McLean takes off his socks and shoes alone in his wife's private bathroom. Which, by the way, I've never worked for a company where the chief executives have their own private bathrooms that are nicer than the bathroom I have at home.
0: Yeah, it's true. And that's an interesting thing.
1: Yeah. Like, hers was not even the fanciest office. No. I'm like, is that she an L.A. thing? I think it's a ridiculously rich company thing. I don't know. Oh, I've never, I've really never worked, worked for one of those. those. Yeah. I've <laughs> worked <laughs> for nonprofits. Um, so this is when Hans Gruber and his squad of Euro trash robbers arrive. Oh, my God. With, <sighs> with the speed and efficiency of Danny's Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> they kill the security guard downstairs... Hack the computer system, lock the elevators, and storm the
0: Christmas party on the thirtieth floor. Oh my God! Though they're like their computer guy was so annoying with you his know? yeah yeah he was not my favorite. No.
1: Um, also, their computer like what do you mean you have to hack the system? Like it's they it had a a search by name directory and all you had to do was put in one letter and it'd give you all the right? names. Like, and then you could just go straight in the building yeah. and tell it you where It was so they easy. Just, yeah,
0: yeah. They worked way too hard. I agree
1: security system there was crap they had to prove their worth well they did not prove it to me no so McLean is on the phone with Argyle downstairs when the call is suddenly
0: cut off and then moments later he hears gunfire and screams mm-hmm. I would just like to point out though that even though they didn't make out John McLean still made eyes at the flight attendant yes they had a moment which is kind of a nod to the mm-hmm. book It's just like mm-hmm. made eyes mm-hmm. connected but that was as far as it went yep
1: because he loves one woman and one woman only Holly Gennaro over McLean that's right
0: even though they spelled her name wrong in the directory. Whatever. They had her by her maiden name in the directory. Well, no, it was G-E-N-N-E-R-O. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: I missed that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. So while the robbers search the offices, McLean ducks into the stairwell and runs up to the next floor unseen, but similar to the book, he is barefoot. Yes. So the terrorists in the book are now a crew of Euro trash robbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are no women in this group. Nope. All dudes, all super tall, and apparently most of them were cast not for their Germanness because they're all supposed to be German, <laughs> but for their height. Um, of course, Hans Gruber is played by Alan Rickman, yep. super English, <laughs> and uh, Alexander Goodenough was actually a Russian ballet dancer.
0: Oh, and he was before so he played Karl.
1: I know. Um, there's video of him out there dancing, oh. but he still has the long blonde hair. That must be beautiful. It's something you should. Oh, if YouTube you Google it. it, I'm sure you can find it.
0: Um. Did you know, though, that he and Mar- Mikhail Barishnikov were best friends until, like... They, they had were, a falling out. Yeah. And Baryshnikov kicked him out of his company. And, like,
1: no one knows why. Or maybe they do. I'm sure someone knows. Someone knows. I don't know why. must know. Is he still alive? He is. please let us know. Yes. <gasps> Alexander Goodenough's dead now, so he, he can't, like, no, disagree can't with you. Us, right? You tell us. You tell us. And we'll tell the world. <laughs> uh, that's how this works. Yes. So when uh, uh, Holly's boss is Mr. Tagaki...
0: Did I spell that right? T-A-K-A-G-I. Takagi. 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 I
1: I spelled it wrong and now I can't say it. That's okay. Takagi. So, Gruber isolates Holly's boss. Yes. That guy. There you go. Um, he wants them to give him the code to get into the system so they can get to the $640 million in bearer bonds Mm. that are in the vault. They're just basically thieves. They are, because Mr. Takagi says, what kind of terrorists are you? And Han says, who said we're terrorists? Mm -hmm. Because the director did not want to make a movie about terrorists. In fact, he said he wanted to make a movie about robbers instead because terrorists aren't fun.
0: And that we have all of these movies that have followed that are about terror. Yeah, but are they fun? No, Sam, they're not. I mean, they're still basically shoot 'em ups
1: Well, it depends on your definition of fun.
0: That's true.
1: McTiernan has his definition. There's some weird uber um, macho stuff in this movie. John
0: McTiernan is very much one of those directors. Yes. Even in Hunt for Red October, very much... Yeah, I think maybe some issues with women. A little bit. A little bit.
1: Yeah. Like doesn't want to actually put any of them in his movies. Yeah,
0: nope. I agree.
1: Um I mean Holly McLean is a feisty mm-hmm. character and she's got some, some good smart stuff. Um she's practical. Mm-hmm. But uh But not really given much. She doesn't have a lot to work with and I mean there are very few other female characters. Yes. Um so yeah. But anyways. Back to my notes. Okay. So uh, McLean's first fight is with a beefy blonde J Crew model named Tony. So instead of the first guy he kills is named Hans, mm-hmm. and Tony's the big bad. Yep. They swap them. And then they swap them. And Tony is Carl's little brother, but he's like six foot seven. Yes. Um, and in the movie, he breaks Tony's neck by accident. They're fighting. They fall down the stairs, tangled in each other's mm-hmm. arm. And uh Blondie's neck is broken in the fall. Yes, but Carl still takes it very personally. I mean, I would too. If I if I had a six foot seven brother that I had washed her up all this time and we joined a Robert Crew together, and he only joined because I told him to. I would be very bad at whoever broke his neck. And but
0: I would try that hang her internally because it would be all my fault. Carl is not about <laughs>
1: introspection. You don't know Carl. <laughs> Clearly. He's a doer, not a thinker. <laughs> Anyways, Anyways, using Dead Tony's radio, McLean tries to call for help. And I was confused about this part. So it's a it's like a walkie talkie. Yep. Yeah. And there's someone on the other side, like in some kind of call center, so it's like it taps into nine one one or
0: something. I didn't quite well, get that. Um there are, there's like channels out in the world mm-hmm. that people monitor. Do
1: you actually know this
0: or are you making this up? I'm making it up. Okay, great.
1: (laughs) So it seems like it ties into some kind of call center, but she immediately starts yelling at him and being like, This channel is for emergencies only. And this. If you're monitoring a channel for emergencies and someone gets on and says, Hey, I have an emergency, and your first response is, Get off this channel. It's for emergencies only. Like, aren't you bad at your job? Yes, you are. And I can't help but feel like this only would happen in a movie because you need it to further your movie plot
0: yes i mean and honestly this didn't even happen in the book so no it was pointless
1: it's just and also this is one of the few women who do have speaking lines and she's awful so come mm-hmm. on john mccannan um and then what so he's on the phone with these women because there's actually two of them mm-hmm. they hear gunshots in the background and they're like oh I, I guess, guess we we'll send a them. cop yeah. over just to check they're just bad at their they jobs they really are so, uh just down the street, Sergeant Al Powell's at the convenience store and he gets the call and he looks up at Nakatomi Tower and he sees flashes of light on the roof. He doesn't realize those are gunshots because McLean mm-hmm. and the baddies are exchanging gunfire. So
0: uh I mean but what else like if you see lights flashing on the top of a tower when there aren't normally flashing lights, aren't you suspicious? You might not think gunfire right away, but don't you think, hmm something weird is going on there. Perhaps they're having problems with their uh, electricity. We should make sure nothing's bad is going Maybe on. Maybe they're filming
1: a cheesy movie. I don't know. So, uh, McLean is being chased by Carl and the baddies. It's a very cool 80s band. Mm-hmm. And so he very quickly climbs in the ductwork, fashions the anchor out of the gun, and, and just, just goes just, to town. Yeah. Whereas, like, There's in no the thinking. book, he's thinking through it for hours. Yeah. Um, he lights the lighter briefly, and, um, Carl sees that and so he figures out where the general area that McLean goes. McLean's in, but Sergeant Powell arrives, so he has to give up uh, pursuing McLean temporarily because they don't want him to hear what's going on. Yep. So downstairs, another member of the crew, beefy Huey Lewis, is pretending to be the security guard. He lets Powell in, he plays it casual, and Powell is almost fooled. But McLean, mm-hmm. this is where he breaks a window and throws a robber, dead robber's
0: body nope. through it, and it lands directly on Powell's car. So it's not quite the same as coming from the roof and getting everyone's attention, but it's still pretty, pretty good. It's still it, it works. Yep. Finally,
1: he gets attention. Mm-hmm. Um, once Powell sees that, the robbers start shooting at him because yep. they don't want him to sound the alarm. But he gets away through some pretty fast thinking, some I fast love where driving. It lands up.
0: And he calls for backup. Yep. Yeah, he
1: goes like off a little uh bump there.
0: And apparently his Twinkie thing like becomes a thing in the other movies. Yeah,
1: and I've heard that Reginald Val Johnson, like people like throw Twinkies at him in real like, life, dude, which that's not nice. That's not nice at Reginald all. Reginald Val Johnson is a person.
0: Right. Like honestly, don't throw Twinkies at anybody.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Twinkies are terrible. Don't yeah. do that. So then there's some more stuff
1: that is definitely in the book, but it's much faster paced in the movie. Yes. Um the police arrive uh, Sergeant Powell and McLean are communicating over the radio. They're starting to build a rapport. Uh, Powell believes McLean is um, a reliable mm-hmm. source. And when he says there's some things I can't tell you because they're listening, like, Powell gets it. Yep. But then his boss, uh, Deputy Chief Wayne Robinson, a.k.a. Principal Barry Manilow, mm-hmm. gets on. He, Robinson's an idiot. Such he ignores an idiot. all of McLean's intel. Like, he just he refuses to give him the benefit of the mm-hmm. doubt on anything. They send in a SWAT team. Uh, the robbers shoot out the police spotlights. They start shooting and
0: killing cops. They've and got then, rocket launchers, for crying out then loud. Then they
1: hit the police's armored vehicle with a rocket launcher. Ugh. And McLean told them they had a rocket launcher, and he just ignored them. So yep. the cops are dumb. Uh, now, again, we're playing with the whole are they terrorists or not thing, because Hans gets on the radio with Robinson, and he, and he says that his... He demands that the U.S. State Department work to free his imprisoned brothers all over the world in Ireland and Mm -hmm. Sri Lanka. He says a couple different places. And then he turns to Carl and he's like, I read their names in a Time Magazine article. (laughs) Um, He demands they be freed in the next two hours. But he doesn't really care. This is a ploy. Because by saying that, now the FBI have to get involved. So then here comes Agents Johnson and Johnson from the FBI. Oh, my God. Robert Davey. So uh, then this is one of the biggest, well, maybe it's not the biggest change, but this is a very interesting change. Hans and McLean have a scene alone. Yes. So Hans is, he's, it's not entirely clear at first what he's doing, but he's working on something on the roof and he runs into McLean and thinking fast, Hans pulls out an American accent Mm -hmm. and pretends to be a hostage. McLean gives him a handgun, but then when Gruber, like, points it at him and tries to shoot him, it's It's, empty. It's empty, Yeah. McLean was, wasn't was fooled, but was fooled? Yeah, I'm not I'd really be, sure. I don't know. It was a little, yeah. Clear. It was like a, oh, he's so clever. But actually, if you think about it for a second, you're like, wait, Were what? You? Yeah. Um, There's some more chasing and shooting. And I think, in my opinion, the most gruesome scene, Uh, they, one of the terrorists, one of the robbers, sorry, they're not terrorists, one of the robbers, there's a close-up of his kneecaps being shot out. Oh, oh yeah. That one, like, that I had, like, a, a visceral lot. reaction to. Yep. And then Hans realizes that uh, McLean's barefoot and tells Carl to shoot all the glass. Yep. So then McLean to escape them has to run across the glass shards. Right. So he's like, it,
0: they're in, they're on a floor. It's not the stairs with the lights. It's yeah. And it's like they shoot it while he's there in the yep. room. So it's again, it's just, it's all faster paced. Yep. Exactly. It takes place over the course of a few
1: hours rather than twenty hours. Yes. Uh, apparently, John McTiernan was inspired to do it all in one night, like *Midsummer Night's Dream*. And I'm like, oh yeah, this was inspired by Shakespeare, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh, no. Mm. So, uh, the movie also gives us a backstory for Sergeant L. Yes, Powell. Yes, it's a
0: very dark one. Yeah,
1: well, so he did. He's a, he's a, calls himself a desk jockey. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because when he was still working on the street, he accidentally shot a 13-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. And that'll come back later. Yes. So, the FBI forces the city to shut off power to the building... Because that's like standard FBI protocol. But this is what Gruber wanted. That's what he's planning for. The last security measure for the vault, the one Theo can't override, automatically disengages if the power is cut. Which is, in my opinion, a very poorly planned security yes. system. Yes. Like, I believe they should have a fail safe on that safe. Yeah. That's like having an exhaust valve that if hit will cause a chain reaction that blows up your entire space station. Yep. Huh. Was this a good design <laughs> then? <laughs> Maybe not. So, uh, agents Johnson and Johnson, the geniuses of the FBI, uh, try to outsmart the terrorists by double-crossing them. So they come barreling in on helicopters.
0: They're like freaking like gun happy like shoot 'em yeah, up guys. Like, well, which a, Lib- a lot of, <Alice> <laughs> <talking inaudible> of there's a lot of 80s jerks <laughs> in this movie. Um,
1: so they're planning on so they're supposedly coming in to pick up hostages but they're planning on shooting the terrorists Mm -hmm. Gruber is planning on double crossing their double cross by actually he's rigged explosives to go off on the roof Mm -hmm. and the plan is when the explosions go off and blow up half the building no one's going to really be sure who was in that explosion and so um, everyone will think that the terrorists were killed meanwhile they're escaping with their 640 million dollars and no one will come looking for them because they don't know it's gone but McLean is a clever cabbage, and is he, he figures out their plan. Well, he sees like a metric ton of C4 and thinks, "Huh,, huh What's what weird do with that?" So he tries to get the hostages off the roof so that they don't die, and to get them to move, he actually starts shooting the machine gun. Mm-hmm. The FBI thinks he's a terrorist. Mm-hmm. They yep. start shooting at him. Mm-hmm. So all the hostages actually do escape the roof alive, but McLean is still trapped on the roof. So the only way to get down is to very quickly oh rig God. a fire hose and just, <laughs> just jump poop. off the roof. Well, I mean, and then shoot him, his way a downstairs window. It works out. He just manages to escape before the C4 explodes, taking out the roof and the helicopter. And as Robinson puts it, I guess we need more FBI guys.
0: <laughs> Agents
1: Johnson and Johnson, we hardly knew
0: you. Thank Gush for that.
1: Downstairs in the garage, Argyle, so he's been following along, because mm-hmm. he's tuned into the radio as well, and he's apparently got TV reception in the garage, right? so he's watching the news. Argyle sees an ambulance drive out of the truck that the robbers arrived in. He thinks fast and punches out the driver, Theo. Mhm. So that's the last I see of Theo. Thank goodness. Yeah, he was annoying. He was. Uh, and then there's the big showdown. So McLean... In the book, Joe Leland tried taping the gun, mm-hmm. but it, like, didn't work, like Hans or Tony saw through it. Yep. In the movie, it works. It does work. He yep. manages to take out beefy Huey Lewis, um, and he shoots Hans, but as Hans falls, he grabs Holly by the wrist, but McLean is fast. And he grabs her. Holly, yeah. and he undoes her watch, and then we get that iconic close-up of Alan Rickman's face as he falls. <laughs> Which actual shocked face? Yeah, I don't know. know. You've you've heard the story, right? Alan Rickman really was dropped off at like a 40 foot height, and And he was dropped off at at the count of two rather than three. Yeah, they said we're going to drop you on three, and they went one, two, Two, drop. Yep. So that's the beloved Alan Rickman really Really falling and going. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) below, amateur stand-up Wayne Robinson quips, "I hope that's not a hostage." This guy missed an opportunity oh
0: to my be god. A comedian.
1: So, McLean and Holly depart Nakatomi Plaza arm in arm, but their happy ending is almost spoiled. One more fake-out. Carl rises from the dead like a zombie. That Carl. Throwing off his shroud and firing a machine gun, which, if you're carrying a corpse out of the building, why would you leave the machine gun with it? Because you're dumb. Yeah. Sorry, paramedics, but this really should be part of the triage mm-hmm. process. But Al Powell... Redeems himself for having shot a guy by shooting, shooting oh. a guy. So he is now yeah. a real cop again. Unpack that. So much 80s in this 80s movie. There's so much testosterone just sprayed all over like a feral cat. Mm hmm. So Mr. and Mrs. McLean are reunited. Nakatomi Plaza is only partially blown up. And everyone who's not a German has a very happy Christmas
0: yay the end. merry Christmas <laughs> merry Christmas yippee Kai! yay yeah it's so a time for some fun and games let's we'll play some fun and games all right heartthrobs and hairdos who are
1: your top three hotties uh hottie number one Alan Rickman nice aka Hans Gruber mm-hmm, mm-hmm hottie number two Bruce Willis oh, I'll give it Chris, to him alright alright Bruce Willis doesn't always do it for me but he's cute in this yeah, movie well, yeah <laughs> Um And Holly number three,
0: Alexander Goodenough. Nice. Because he is good enough. He is good enough. Who are yours, Sam? Uh, so, in no particular order, Alexander Goodenough is Carl. hmm. Uh, Alan Rickman, in spite of that German, I say in quotes. Quote, accent. unquote, German. Um, and I actually went with Holly's boss. Oh, Mr. Takagi. Takagi. Why can't I say I his know. name? No, I liked
1: he had a, you know, he reminds me of the trade minister yes exactly <laughs> he has not like he's gravitas very, he has gravitas yes. exactly very like serene mm-hmm. in and calm and yep. h- under high pressure mm-hmm.
0: yes oh. so those are my top okay. three i mean i thought about doing Bruce willis but i liked mr Kagigi. no i bit totally more. respect that yeah um top three outfits uh so one fake fabio's hair which one's fake Fabio, in your opinion? He was the one who lasted the longest with the long hair. Okay. Not the Carl. Not Carl. Not Carl, the Carl the but the one. other yeah. one. Wait, oh, that was Beefy Huey Lewis, wasn't it? No, Beefy Huey Lewis had the short hair. Okay. He was the one who was sitting at the front desk. Yes, that's Beefy Huey Lewis. Okay. So there were three fake people. There was fake Fabio, mm-hmm. fake Huey Lewis, mm-hmm. and fake Jason Patrick. Yes,
1: okay.
0: Yep. I uh, like that we have
1: code names for all know, of them. Right? This, is, this is how you're going to refer to them in your fan fiction, aren't you? Yes, And they'll yes, all be played by Idris Elba. Yep,
0: exactly. Okay. Um, and then Hans Gruber's suit, but only because he's got the beard. That is a... It
1: is a tight beard.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Argyle
1: sunglasses. Okay, that's mm-hmm. good. Um, I also had Alan Rickman's suit. Nice. I actually only had um, two outfits. The other one is Theo's white cable knit sweater. Nice. Which I feel also uh, very similar to the sweater worn by Chris Evans in, in Knives out. out. I would agree. I think they're
0: we're bringing back the white fisherman sweater. Which yeah, I, we I are. I yeah, I support that fully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Uh, do you have any questions? I have a couple.
1: So, when and how did McLean figure out that Gruber wasn't really a hostage?
0: Um, I don't think he actually did. Uh Uh-huh. And I think they just, I don't, like, there was nothing in their exchange ever made me think that he figured it out. Right? Before he gave him the gun. I know. Nothing. It just felt lazy. It did. Do you want to make up a reason? Um, I think he didn't believe his American accent. It wasn't that great an accent. Mm-mm. You know what really annoys
1: me is that it would have been so easy to just put in something. Yep. Um, do you remember an Inglorious Bastards? Do you remember *Inglorious Bastards? Barely. Okay. So they have an English... They they set they set up this whole thing. Mm-hmm. That this English guy is pretending to be a German, and he's gonna go to this bar, and it's gonna be a thing. And then when he gets there, there's a bunch of Germans, and he's doing great. Right. And yeah. then when he he holds up his fingers to show three, he doesn't hold up hold it up the way a German would. Right. And so like that's when they pick up on it. And and that's how it, and then end up yeah and like everyone gets shot. It's yeah. great. But like it it wouldn't have been that hard to just write in something Something. really minor Mm -hmm.
0: and they just they there was nothing alan rickman did nothing for me to be like oh that's what he that's what bruce willis picked up on right nothing
1: all right then our answer your answer is nothing nothing and it's just bad writing yep well yep i respect that um all right i have one other question okay what happened to theo argyle punched him was he arrested at the cleanup? I, I don't remember seeing him. I mean, maybe I missed it, but I don't remember seeing him at the cleanup.
0: No, I think he was one of those loose ends that you just got left behind. I wondered about that. Yeah.
1: Like, because we see Argyle again. Mm-hmm. He comes back up in his limo. Yeah. We'll maybe he's him. in the trunk of the limo. Oh, maybe. And then as they <laughs> drive off to have their happily ever after. Like, me just me Let me out! <laughs>
0: Okay, I like that. Thanks. Do you have any questions for me? I have. A, I have three. Okay. Um. So I thought Leland's inability to get to think about um killing women as the same as men was like a little bit bad. I mean, I get it, but I was like very no. much of mid twentieth century yeah. of its time. Um. But seriously, could you believe how much more sexist the movie was? The I movie think? was so much more sexist. Oh my god! It was written in
1: 1979 as the book. 1980. What did I say it was eight? Was the movie? I
0: think so. Like, and it got more sexist. Yeah, I'm like like way to take 20 giant steps back.
1: And like um the the stewardess, I can't remember her name at this at this moment. What was her name? Kathy Logan.
0: I really liked her. Yeah, she was She great. was smart, she mm-hmm. was savvy. She like got what Joe was picking was throwing at her every single time yeah. when they were on the phone mm mm-hmm. Yep. And that's like it's not even just the the characters, but it was like in all of the depictions of the women. So there was John locking eyes with the, with the flight attendant. Mm-hmm. There was the moment where there's that po- that poster of the of the naked woman yeah, in the for stairwell, no and, and people keep like touching her breasts. Also, and... well, they had
1: of the women in the movie. Several of them were uh, Playboy models, mm-hmm. including the naked woman because uh, they were having sex the in the are... office. It's like, I don't remember the guy being naked, but she had her boobs out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not saying shouldn't like boobs or putting boobs in your movie is a bad thing, but it just,
0: there was no reason. There's no point for any of it. It didn't forward the story, it was just the didn't for the Cannon character wanted development. It was the boobs. Yeah. <sighs> it was so annoying. Um, second question is, why has Yippie ki yay mother-effers become such an iconic catchphrase, do you think?
1: Because uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's just it's and just like, where do they
0: come up with it because it's definitely not in the book it's just
1: <laughs> unexpected enough yeah. and incongruous enough that it really draw, it catches your
0: attention <gasps> right. but it's short yep and in the moment it's funny it really is it like plays off so well and like yeah. that is just that has become like the whole point of Die Hard is yeah. just so John McClane can say that phrase Roy Rogers yep and then my third and final question is what was your favorite Ghostbusters cameo Vigo the Carpathian or the EPA dude? Oh that's a tough one. Um,
1: when I found out it was Vigo the Carpathian I I think I shrieked a little bit. you did I you did. I love confession time. Okay I love Ghostbusters 2 more than the first Ghostbusters movie.
0: me too oh, shh. And so
1: seeing Vigo Carpathian I was like he's been in another movie. And it was so
0: funny, too, because it came on screen. I was like, is that Vigo the Carpathian? And we're all like, no. And then your husband looked it up. He's like, oh, yeah, it is. And we're like, what? It just...
1: (laughs) It was hilarious.
0: It really was. It was so unexpected. Okay, that's it. That's all I have for questions. All right. Should we do some fake awards? Let's do fake awards.
1: So I I feel it's a segues, then, because my Jeff Goldblum Award goes to... Vigo the Carpathian, because I was just so excited about him, it took me out of the movie completely. Um, nice. And the actor's real name. So his character in the movie is James, super boring, not especially German. No, but the actor's name is Wilhelm von Homburg. <laughs> that is the most German name to ever German a
0: German. Yes, I would agree. What are you, do you have, do? You have a Jeff Goldman award set? I do. Mine actually went to went to Alexander Goodenough because we couldn't stop saying his name. <laughs> I know. As soon as somebody said it, we were like, "Oh!" And then for the entire movie, Carl was just good enough. Yeah, hey, he's good enough. <laughs> do you have other awards? I do. Uh, so my fake cameo awards go to fake Fabio, fake Jason Patrick, and face fake <laughs> Huey Lewis. I wasn't fooled. I wasn't fooled.
1: You knew it wasn't really
0: him. You knew it wasn't really any of them. Nice, right? Uh, and then the ho- the he's no Joe Leland award goes to John McClain. Dude gave his position away all the f the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a really good point, right? And Roderick Thorpe was probably super disappointed. He in was that. rolling in his grave. Also, he was rolling in money. I don't think he minded That's, that's true. He, <laughs> he probably made a ton of money off of that. <laughs> Do you think he got any money from the sequels even though he didn't um actually write
0: them? I don't think so because it's not technically his character writing. Like John McClane is not Joel, right? I Jaliland, mean, Sergeant right? Powell is and he's in some of the sequels. That's I true. He may have he made probably a made a lot have. of money yeah. off that franchise. Which and it's really funny too because Die Hard 2 is based on a completely different book by a completely different author.
1: And again, they just went, no, oh, we'll name him John McClane. I had
0: a different character. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah.
1: What are the rest of your Hollywood, awards? man. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a, I have a bunch of awards because okay. I just I was getting too excited about this. <laughs> so the Best Christmas Music Award goes to Argyle for choosing Run DMC. Nice. <laughs> that made me very happy. Um, the Just Kiss Already Award goes to John McClane and Sergeant L. Powell. Nice. And the Watch the End Credits Closely award goes to the prop master, Tommy Tom Tomlinson. Seriously, <laughs> go amazing. back and watch the movie. Yep. That Tommy, was great. quote, Tom Tomlinson. Tom Tomlinson. Yep. His parents yeah. had some th- things they're working out. And yes. then <laughs> the Great Enough award goes to Alexander Goodenough. <laughs> Oh no. Those are my
0: awards. I'm so sad. (laughs) Is it though? (laughs) Is it? Oh man. Okay, but. That wraps up season two of Adapted. Oh my Anna gosh, and Sam. Sam, we're here! Yeah, I can't it's believe it. It's the end it. of a whole nother season. It's crazy! We survived. We did, and thank you so much for listening to us this season. Uh, we have some big ideas for season three, and we can't wait to start sharing with them with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back next year in the springtime for some more silly shenanigans. Um, silly slash insightful right
1: you, you did not think I was going to say insightful no. did you no I didn't
0: <laughs> um, but I do want one thing I do want you to think about one thing listeners how do you think Anna should challenge herself with her six degrees next season oh should she stick with Steve Zisu or should she find something else please not Steve Zisu. I can't do it anymore
1: <laughs> let us know <laughs> that is a great challenge for our listeners please give me suggestions I'd love to hear them <laughs> And I would also like to add, because this is our holiday episode. Yes, it is. As we come to the close of not only a year, but mm-hmm. a decade. Whoa. That the world may not always be diehard. Sometimes yeah. the world is nothing lasts forever. hmm And all we can do is be kind and yes. loving and understanding to each other. Yes. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, mm-hmm. Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Candle Nights. I Happy Yule. Happy Yule. Joyous Yule. Mm-hmm. Um, and wherever you are listening, we hope that you have a wonderful 2020. Yes. Thank you very much. So until next year, um, go back and listen to our old episodes. Right? Keep telling people <laughs> how great adapted with Anna and Sam is, friends, coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, robbers who have broken into your corporate offices, let them know that this is a great podcast right. and they can send us their six degrees mm-hmm. at with Anna and Sam at gmail.com right.
0: or they can post them on Facebook you know, Facebook is everywhere uh, you can find us at Criminals are definitely Anna on Facebook. oh yes they are <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can follow us or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AdaptedPodcast uh, you know, just let's get, let's keep going let's yeah. see what we
1: can do Thank you for listening to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna,
0: and I wish The Breakfast Club was based on a book. I'm Sam, and I wish Demolition Man was based (laughs) on a book. (laughs) Bye. Bye!